I am starting today a what is on paper at this point a five uh, message series on elders and eldership. And I say on paper because the last one of the bunch, which is on the qualifications of an elder, might take. I'm going to try. I, I don't know yet, you know. Ask me in a month <laughs> because I might have better vantage of that today uh, by then. But uh, until then, I want to talk about uh, today is the first and, and it's a little bit different for most messages. Might not be the most exciting thing you've ever heard. Sorry about that. Uh, but uh, elders is one of those words that we all know. You come to a church you say, oh, you have elders here. And in my mind, I catalog, catalog things. And so uh, the church I was at in Spokane, before I came out here, they didn't have elders, they had deacons. But they did the same thing, right? And so you had, you had these church officers, these people who does it, everybody has them, that kind of thing. And I thought, you know, some words, we, different people use uh, the same word and have different meanings and ideas in mind. So today we're just going to simply try to understand what in the world elders are. By the way, for the next six, five weeks at least, the elders and John and I are going to feel particularly conspicuous and, and not like these messages. Uh, they're not just for us. That actually, you know, we already go through these things. This is one of the things we do at our elders' meetings as we discuss these kind of passages we're going through today. Uh, but as we do that, I'm always thinking, you know, I wish everybody knew this stuff. Uh, we, we are, Christianity isn't something that's, that works on secret knowledge, you know, or, or hidden truths or something. Everything needs to be out there. So uh, we're going to, to do that. I'm starting this series uh, mostly when we talk about elders from the Bible. At least in my experience, we jump to either 1 Timothy 3 or Titus chapter 1 and start talking about the qualifications of an elder. And, and that's good, but we seldom talk about what elders actually do besides being qualified, right? Uh, what do they do? I, I don't know. Why do you have them? I don't know, because we're a church, and churches have elders, right? Uh, well, we have deacons. Okay, well, your church is wrong, so <laughs> whatever. Uh, what do they do? Well, they don't seem to do much of anything, <laughs> right? Not that I've seen, anyway. So, so anyway, instead of starting with qualifications, we're going to start with their purpose. Uh, we're going to look at the history of elders and see what New Testament elders do. So let's start with Old Testament elders. The origin of elders, and elders predate the Bible. Now, they, when I say that, I mean, no, they don't predate Adam and Eve. <laughs> but they predate Moses anyway. They, they were there before Moses. Uh, the first mention of elders in the Bible has nothing to do with Israel. Well, it does because it's, it's going to impact on Israel. But they're talking about the elders of Egypt. Uh, and, and you go to Deuter or not Deuter, Genesis uh, chapter 50, and in Genesis chapter 50, Jacob has died. The man who is also named Israel has died, and they're getting ready. Joseph has gone to Pharaoh and said, hey, can I have permission to go bury my dad? And, and he says, yes. And so we get Genesis 50, verses 7 and 8, the people going to bury Jacob, right? Genesis 50, I'll start at verse 6. Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the household of Joseph and his brothers in his father's household. They left only their little ones, their flocks and herds in the land of Goshen. And so we have, we have this mention of the elders of Egypt, and they're not talking about Jewish elders, because later they come along and they have Joseph with all his household, 
right? The elders of the house of Israel would be his, him and his, he and his 11 brothers, right? They would be the ones who would be the elders, but, but they're mentioned separately. So, so elders, was, elders were a staple in the land of Egypt before Israel was a nation. Elders are something that go back and, and have everything. Uh, have uh, not everything. Elders are universal, right? Uh, if you travel the world today and you visit villages, you will run into tribal elders. You go back and you look at Native American history or Native Americanism today. You have uh, tribal elders. These people who do this. They they are the people who they are men who are acknowledged as local leaders. Right, uh, and and uh, so it's something that's in effect today. It's something that has been in effect always, everywhere. Uh, there, there, there is this phenomenon of village elders or leaders who are elders, and I'm not sure how they were selected by these different places, or if they're done the same way in other places. Are they simply recognized? Uh, are they brought about by whatever means? Uh, what? How did they become elders? And, and as the word elder implies. Sometimes, or it has something to do with age, right? You go elder, older. It makes a lot of sense. Respect your elders. It's actually not talking about, you know, those guys who have the office. It's talking about older people, and, and it's the same word. In fact, as you see the word elder, you have to look at the context to know. Is it talking about church leaders, or is it talking about older people? And, and the context will tell you because the word is the same, and, and so we do that. Uh, but the Hebrew word, I got a kick out of this. I, I, I read it, and I, I said, that can't be true. You know, I, anything you're skeptical of, verify by more than one source. And I did. And it has to do, the word, the word translated elder has to do with two things. It has to do with age and facial hair. And I looked at that, and I thought, uh-oh. And I thought about our elder. Oh, see, Richards, he's sitting there. <laughs> Those of you with beers, yes, I am an elder. Pastor Steve, get down now. <laughs> right? uh, age and faith. And I thought, maybe the Amish have it right. <laughs> you know, you, they, if, as I understand it, they don't, the men don't get to grow that beard until they're married. right? Until then, they're not elderish. <laughs> elderish. So, so uh, and, and of all people, Mike, maybe because he knew I was talking about elders today, I think that's his... I don't care what excuse he has, Christy, but, but he came up to me and said, Steve, I have to leave early. It's not about you or the sermon. I'm going, yes, it is. <laughs> but, but Mike is our elder with the most uh, representative beard, right? And I thought, you know, and John, he can grow a beard. He blinks twice and, you know, he's got a bush growing on his face. And, and, and Jeremy, I don't think I've ever seen you with facial hair. Have I? Have I, I am I wrong? Okay. Yeah, I ha- so I have, and, and I have. I haven't done it for for quite a while because, uh, you know, the what I found about beards is is it's no the itch doesn't bother me. Uh, the, but but after a while, you have to take care of them, and taking care of them is more bother than shaving. And so I just decided I'm going to shave. Besides, Joan doesn't like to kiss me when I have a beard, so you know that that's kind of trumps everything else. But now I'm looking at this. I got to have a beard if I want to be an elder. Okay, that's actually not the message of this message. <laughs> yeah, a beard growing contest. I I I, I will lo- I will not come in first, but I won't lose. So there you go. Okay. Uh, anyway, so there's there's where it comes from, and. and uh, one source, talking about how they came to be, become elders, one source said usually they were the heads of families, but probably men were also selected on the basis of age, wisdom, ability, respect, or prowess. 
And so it says they were selected on the basis of, but it doesn't say who selected them. It doesn't say that's how it happened. Uh, another source said there is no explanation of their origin, appointment, or qualifications. The Bible simply doesn't tell us. We don't know. We could go to the we could go to the tribe and say, "How do you select your elders?" We could go to the village in Africa and say, "How do you select your elders? How do they how do they do this?" Somehow or other, though, elders were selected, have been, and are selected, and and everyone seems to have them. Historically, it's a political uh, uh, appointment or a political position. Everybody had elders, and their duties seemed to be universally to give leadership, settle disputes, judge legal issues. They aren't necessarily like a military thing. Moses then added a more religious side to this. And by the way, I think maybe they have religious because religion and nationhood is tied together in most places. You know, if you go to, to India, they expect you to be Hindu if you are a citizen of India, and, and that causes problems for Christians in India. If you go to Saudi Arabia, they expect you to be Muslim, and it causes problems if you're a Christian in Saudi Arabia. And, and you are, your religion is supposed to go with your uh, political identity, which is, is America is an outlier for that, or an oddity, maybe is a better way to put it. We are an oddity for that kind of thing. And so they may have also had a religious nature to their duties also. But Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 16, we find, the, we find that there were elders uh, at the start of Moses' ministry. Moses is, is uh, coming back from his encounter with God on the burning bush, right? Exodus chapter 3, verses, uh, verse 16 God says, go and gather together the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So Moses is talking to God. Moses is is on the mountain. Uh, The people are down in Egypt and, and the Israelites have formed their own government to the extent that they have elders. And he says, go and talk to the elders. And we find various times through these things. It's one of those things you don't see unless you look for it. But now if you read through that, you find the elders popping up through the story of Moses and the plagues. Uh, The the elders are popping up. They are political leaders. They are leaders of clans, tribes, families, whatever it is. But they are the people, the the official representatives of the people. so, so that is where they are in Exodus chapter 3. But if we go to Exodus chapter 24, uh, we find them at the mountain. Moses, they've been given the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, but not in a physical form. They've been stated. Moses doesn't have the tablets yet. He hasn't gone up the mountain yet. Uh, and, and so in Exodus chapter 24, verses 9 and 10, God is talking to them prior to Moses going on the mountain. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. And we have Moses and Aaron and and Nadab and Abihu and these 70 elders, and I don't know how they picked those 70 elders again. There's a nation of, of 3 million people, there's more than 70 elders, but somehow these guys are clearly recognized as more uh, significant or more of leaders. And, and so they are get brought up there and God is revealed to them in a way he's not revealed to everyone, or 
real, he has not revealed himself to others. Uh, and, and so they are in that, given that religious responsibility, and they come along and they help Moses in his work of, of serving the people and taking care of the people. These 70 elders share in that work. And so they're added that religious aspect of it. But mostly their duties are civic duties. And the classic example, and this is fun, Ruth. Turn to the book of Ruth, if you will, to chapter 4. Uh, if you have trouble finding it, Joshua judges Ruth. That's why we say Joshua is the meanest man in the Bible. Sorry, junior high joke. I, I, I teach junior high, so it's not my fault. <laughs> At least I'm going to hide behind that. Okay, Joshua judges Ruth. Uh, Ruth, chapter 4. Uh, verses 1 through 11. I'm just going to read this story. So Ruth has, 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 has won Boaz's heart. He wants to marry her. But there's this whole deal, and they're, showing, they're introducing something called the kinsman redeemer. I don't want to go too much into that. But, but uh, there's this process they have to go by to do things properly and in order. So Boaz wants to marry Ruth. With Ruth comes land because she is the widow of a man who was the heir to this land that someone else is farming, and, and uh, with Ruth comes the land. Or, flip it over, with the land comes Ruth. So Boaz goes to the village square or the village gate or whatever it is that the elders meet. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer whom Boaz spoke was passing by, so he said, come over here, friend, sit down here. And he came over and sat down. Then he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here, so they sat down. Right? See, just picture, he's, he's, he's there at the city gate, he's sitting there, he says, hey, you, I need to talk to you. Hey, I need some witnesses, elders. So the 10 of the elders and some other people came along, but the elders are the significant ones here. And so they come over and they're all gathered around at this village gate. And I just picture, picture, I picture a scene out of Mayberry, you know, where, where they're, they're out sitting on the, the bench out in front of the barber shop and just, you know, the guys are sitting around chatting and talking about nothing. And then something comes up that's worth paying attention to. And so he says, hey, guys, you know, we have some business to do. Or, or who here has ever seen the, the men having coffee in the morning? Uh, you know, it, it happened. That is another universal thing, by the way. It happens in Davenport. It happens everywhere where old guys get together and have coffee. And re pretty rare that young guys join them. But I've seen, I've seen it happen, but it's an oddity. It's the old guys, right, sit around and drink coffee. So, so that's what's, what I picture here, at least. So then he turned to the Redeemer, the guy he first asked to sit down. Naomi, uh, Naomi, who has returned from the land of Moab, has to sell that plot of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought that I would inform you, saying, uh, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. But if you will not redeem it, uh, if you will redeem it, then redeem it. But if not, tell me so that I may know, for there's no one except you to redeem it, and I am after you. So basically he's saying, I want to buy that land. You have first right. If you want it, buy it now in front of all these witnesses because that's what their job is. If you don't want to buy it, then let, let me know because I want it, right? And so he's, he's just making a business deal, it sounds like. He, he's on his way to something more. Uh, so uh, the guy says, uh, I will redeem it. Yeah, cool. I get some land. I've wanted that land. Then Boaz says, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth. <laughs> By the way, you got to marry this gal if you're going to do that. Uh, the Moabite is the widow of the deceased in order to raise up the name of the deceased in his inheritance. Culture of the day. Then the Redeemer said, uh-uh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> I don't need that baggage. Too much trouble for me, is uh, Steve's translation. Uh, 
then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself. Otherwise, I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption since I cannot redeem it. Now, this is fun. Remember I said this is fun? Now, this was the custom in the former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another. This was the way of confirmation in Israel. So the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. And then Boaz said to the elders of the people, you are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Chilion and Malan. Furthermore, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess. So he says, hey, give me your sandal, buddy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not taking my shoe off. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and he took his sandal off and he handed it to him. And he goes, okay, here's the sandal. You can have the land. And he bought the land. And he, he did this in front of all these elders and witnesses. This is, it's a political thing. It's a, it's a way of officially doing business in a land where the bureaucracy, among other things, is pretty simple. Right? It's, it's, uh, there weren't 12 sheets to sign. There weren't, you know, things to initial. There weren't, you didn't need a lawyer to translate what was going on. All you needed was a sandal, right? You, 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 you take, I hope he got his sandal back later on. You know, didn't have to walk home like this, <laughs> limping. Uh, but I don't know how it worked because there's so much about this stuff we don't know. That's, that's the typical picture of elders, right? That is the classic picture of elders. They're just guys who made sure things worked the way they're supposed to work. There's nothing deep or technical about that. Now, if we move forward to Jewish, test, Jewish elders in the New Testament, we find that the Jewish elders, and so we're looking in Matthew, Mark, Luke, a little bit in the book of Acts, at the Jewish elders who are there, uh, we find they were men of standing and influence. And according to one of my sources, it said the office of elder was a regular position in the Jewish synagogue. So it's, it, it, has, it has become more sophisticated than it used to be, where they used to meet in the gates and take their sandals off and conduct business. Now they have become more sophisticated, and the elder is a specific position in the temple or the synagogue. In the Mishnah, it says the duties of an elder were clearly outlined. The council of elders was responsible for the government of the Jewish community. So it's the same thing, only on a larger scale. The elders are still doing it. And it seems more sophisticated, but otherwise pretty much doing the same thing. Now, when we look at the Jewish elders in the New Testament, almost every reference is hostile to the church. And that's interesting. I don't know that the value is for our understanding elders, except that almost every reference of Jewish elders is hostile to the church. We find a lot of phrases like the scribes and the elders, uh, or scribes and chief priests, or I mean chief priests and elders. Uh, we find them conspiring to kill Jesus. Uh, we find them conspiring to pay Judas. We find them inspiring the crowd to ask for Barabbas, right? We find those things happening. They are clearly hostile to the church. There are two references that say the, to the, to hold to the traditions of the, of the elders, okay? Uh, when the Pharisees and scribes criticize Jesus' disciples for not washing their hands. They're walking through the fields. They're picking some grain. They're doing this and eating it. Right? And they say, how can you do that? You haven't washed your hands according to the traditions of the scribes and elders. And Jesus kind of blows them off. Uh, we're not worried about your traditions. There is one reference where they do something good, and I want to look at that just because it's, it's a little bit, it's nice to see the positives. <laughs> but, but because they're, they're not universal. It's not like all Jewish elders were bad guys. Um, but we can see some things in that. First of all, most of them, were, to them, the tradition was more important than anything else. And that's what the elders did. They protected the tradition of the people. 
They protected, protected the ways of the people. They also protected the people, but, but they made sure things worked according to the way they did things. So, but in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is not yet, I think, recognized by many people as a, as a threat, and these guys have a need. So uh, a centurion has got a sick servant, right? Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 2. Now a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they strongly urged him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation. And it was he who built our synagogue. And Jesus goes out and starts on the way, and the story goes on. But, but these elders are, are uh, serving their community by, by going to Jesus on this guy. And so we have this, this one positive, it's the one and only positive New Testament reference to the Jewish elders. Uh, and, and if there's a message in that, it is beware upholding tradition in and of itself. Mostly what tradition is, is what we do. Behind it lies why we do it. Okay? So you can say, well, our tradition is this and thus and thatly. Okay? These. We're not part of the tradition my church started with. And these were not part of the tradition my church started with. And something like this that didn't have anything to do with an outlet on the wall, <laughs> that was part of my church tradition, okay? That was not how we did things. But you know what? The why was the same. The why hasn't changed. The how has changed, right? Uh, there's a difference. We, we want to not protect tradition for tradition's sake. So the first thing we find is, is it's, uh, we look at the role of the elders, is the role of the elders can be abused, right? And that was what was happening uh, in, the, in Israel at the time that Christ came, was like the Pharisees, like the scribes, not all of them, but many of them are they're, they're too bound up by what they do, and they've forgotten why, okay? So the first thing we want to see is, is to, that, that warning not to, to fall into that mistake. So the framework is set. Elders are recognized as a form of both civil and religious leadership for thousands of years, and then this thing called the church comes up, which is not a, a, a government. I mean, it's, it's, not a, it's not a village. It's not a nation. It's not a county. It's not, it's not anything like that, but somehow it adopts these things uh, called elders. And so we have these several passages where we find church elders at work uh, doing the things they do. And, they're, and the ones I have, I'm looking at are not passages that talk about qualifications of an elder, but simply passages that show elders doing what they do. Okay, so Acts chapter uh, 11, verses 27 and 30. This is kind of interesting because our elders kind of do this, <laughs> but kind of don't. I'm in Romans. That's not going to help me. Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named, one of them named Agabus stood up and indicated by the Spirit that there would definitely be severe famine all over the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. And to the extent that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brothers and sisters living in Judea, and they did this, sending it with Barnabas and Saul to the elders. 
Now, when I say we don't actually do this, because we would say, oh, we got this money for the church trustees, <laughs> and we'd call the trustees over and say, hey, this money came down. We want you guys to handle it, handle it, handle it. No, <laughs> uh, but, but if we, we do this... Uh, we do this as a church that does not actively seek aid from others. We are, at this time, on the side of being a sending money church. And I say that because, and we take that as a matter of course. Of course we send money, right? We put money in the offering job, to some, to, the offering plate to support SMI so they can do their job. Right? We, we do things like that. We send money to Pastor Daniel. We send money to, to we, 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 are, we are privileged to have that position of being on the sending side. But suppose that flipped, right? Suppose that flipped and X number of years down the road, the world is looking at us and saying, you know, Pastor Daniel is looking at us and saying, you know those people in Davenport that used to send us money? They need help now. Right? And they sent us money, and we received this money. I would expect at that point the elders would say, hey, let's take care of the distribution. And why the elders? For, well, because they, the, the missionaries coming in bringing the money, they don't know how best to meet the needs of the congregation. But the elders uh, are a representative group and know where the needs are, or should know where the needs are, and should be able to distribute that money the way it ought to be. It implies a responsibility for the saints uh, and, and uh, the propriety of doing it and a knowledge of how to use it and a practicality of doing it. And so the elders are the ones best equipped to, to do that. And so we find them doing that. It's a job the elders take care of on behalf of the church. Acts 14.23, uh, this is just not complicated, and yet it's, it's scary. Paul and Silas are on their first missionary journey. They're traveling from town to town. They go to each town until they get run out. And when they get run out, they move on to the next town. Right, And then they travel back through, and when they travel back through, it says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they entrusted them to the Lord in whom they had believed, and then they left again. So they come in, the, 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 Paul and, and Silas and whoever else might be traveling with them come through, and they preach. They get beat up or chased out and leave, and, and three weeks later, they come back through, and they say, okay, now, who has been living as a Christian since then? Uh, this guy, that guy, and the other guy. Okay, uh, you three guys, you're elders. You're in charge of this place. Got to go. See you later. <laughs> oh, God bless you. I pray for you. And, and they move on. And, and that, that should be a terrifying thought. Uh, because, you know, we, 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 one of the things he says in 1 Timothy is, don't pick someone who's a new convert. <laughs> but that's all they had. And so they, they went with the closest they had that did it. Uh, these were brand new Christians with no training and no experience. Uh, Paul and, and Silas, or yeah, Barnabas, I said Silas, it's Barnabas at this point. Silas' second missionary trip. They prayed and they fasted and they trusted God, but the churches needed some leadership. They needed somebody to, to, to give guidance and responsibility to that church. And so they did it. And that's what the elders do is, is from the very beginning to step up, to take responsibility, and to give guidance. It's a, it's a need in the church. Okay, um, Acts chapter 15. Uh, in Acts chapter 15, Paul is back from that first missionary journey. He's back from that first missionary journey, and there's a big to-do going on in Jerusalem because Paul has been out there as the uh, 
apostle to the Gentiles. He, would, when he, he had a technique he would use. He would go into town, and he would go to the synagogue, and he would preach in the synagogue until he got kicked out of the synagogue. Then he would go to the Gentiles. And he was much more successful among the Gentiles than he was among the Jews. And he didn't preach to the Gentiles that they had to follow Moses. He preached to the Gentiles they had to follow Jesus Christ. And the Jews had a problem with that. Even the Jewish Christians had a problem with that. They said, how can you follow Jesus Christ if you don't follow Moses first? And, and the answer is, if you are Jewish, then you start with Moses. But if you're a Gentile, you start with Jesus. Uh, and and it's, not, it's not difficult. It's, it's just different standards. Different, di- I don't want to say different standards, but I don't know how to say it. So, Traditions, Traditions yeah. Different starting point, yeah. Different starting point. Uh, and so um, it was a huge to-do in the church in Jerusalem. And so they called together the council to hear the issues and to settle them. And so, so with that in mind, I want you to just kind of follow along-ish as I read these. I'm going to skip through some verses. Chapter 15, verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had a heated argument and debate with them, the brothers determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Uh, Verse 6. The apostles and the elders came together uh, to look into this matter. Verses 22 and 23. Um, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Judas, who was called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, and they sent this letter with them, the apostles and the brothers who are elders, to the brothers and sisters in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, and from them, uh, those from the Gentiles. And what we find here is that the elders are getting equal building with the apostles. You go, well, that can't be. That can't be, but they were. Now, I don't, I, I, I don't believe there's any one of them who would have said, yes, I'm as good as an apostle, right? Uh, because that would be like, you just disqualified yourself, buddy. <laughs> but, uh, but the apostles, among other things, for the apostles, it was important to bring these men in because the apostles weren't it. They were, they were the starting point. They were the original teachers and leaders who were to bring up others and raise others up to it. And part of that is getting the elders to do it. But by this time, the church has been around for a decade or two, right? And, and, uh, and, and it's established, and these guys are doing the work, and they are up there. And, and what this is, is this is the first great theological challenge the church ever faced. And the elders are there facing the great theological challenge right along with the apostles. And we find, start finding, when we start talking about the, the responsibilities of the elders, uh, some of these things are really serious. Uh, this, is, this is a serious high criteria that they're given. And in fact, if we go to Acts chapter 16, verse 4, still talking about the same issue. Still talking about the same issue. The elders and the, and the, and the, the apostles got together and they, they worked out this issue. And then they made a decision. And then Paul went out on his second missionary trip, this time with Silas. And here's what they do, according to verse 4. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the ordinances for them to follow, which had been determined by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. And so they went out under the authority and with the decision of the apostles and the elders. Right? They saw the, the elders as authoritative. You know, these first missionaries, Paul the apostle to the Gentiles, saw the elders as authoritative in his life. There's a little bit more. Acts chapter 20, 
uh, verses 17 through 28. Uh, I'm not going to read that whole thing, but Paul is traveling along from Miletus. He sent word to Ephesus and called to himself the elders of the church. Miletus is down the coast from Ephesus. He doesn't go into Ephesus. He goes to Miletus. He says, elders, have the elders come down here. And he met with the elders there, there, and then sent them back up. He, he, he had met with the elders on behalf of the church. It wasn't practical for him to meet with all of them. Uh, and and, and uh, there's one more where Paul comes back to Jerusalem for the final time, and he is about to be arrested, but they don't know that. They're trying to keep things peace, so they give him advice of what he should do. Go make a sacrifice at the temple. Here's some men who made a vow. Pay for them to have their haircut, which is the symbol of their vow. And, and so people will see you that you still honor Jewish customs. And, and so he does that. It doesn't work. People still riot because they don't like him. But he hears their advice, and he follows it. That's okay. So a practical review real quickly of what the New Testament elders did. And that, by the way, that was every reference okay, to, to, to Christian elders uh, in the New Testament. Uh, I should say, every example reference. It's not every reference because some of them are instructive. That will be one week. <laughs> some of them will be qualifications. That will be one week, <laughs> right, and, and so on like that. But a practical review of what they did, they received and distributed money on behalf of the church. They gave leadership to the church. They protected the theology of the church. They received instruction on how to care for the church. They gave godly advice. And you go, well, that's kind of in every direction, right? That's kind of, is kind of practical. Because, you know, when you live life, trouble, trouble comes, problems come, rejoicing comes from all sorts of places. And what we find is this is kind of an all-encompassing uh, leadership for the church. It, it's, it's not high and mighty. It's not haughty. It's, it's not presumptuous. But it, it, is, it is, these are the people who do whatever it takes to make sure the needs of the church are met. Uh, it, and and, and it's, I, I don't think we can say, well, that's what they do and no more either. Because who knows when the next week after the Bible was closed, the new thing happened, right? Uh, but, but the pattern is set. The elders are the people who do this. So, so what have I done today? And you go, not... Actually, very much, Pastor Steve. <laughs> uh, um, hopefully, I've removed some of the mystery of how the church works or is supposed to work. Uh, an elder's job is, is you, know, you know the phrase, it's simple, but it's not easy. <laughs> it's, it's not that hard to understand. That We don't want to mystify it and make it complicated and weird and strange. It's not. It's actually pretty front. They're, the elders are the front men of the church. Uh, it's, 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 that, that's, that's what it is. It doesn't mean it's easy, because it can be incredibly hard. Uh, and, and, but the other thing I've done is I've laid the groundwork for the, for the messages to follow. In the coming weeks, I have, plan to have these messages. I have, I have written here the biblical description of an elder, instructions to elders, qualifications of an elder. I had one more in there, because uh, I ended up with five. But oh, oh, the next one, and what to do when an elder sins. That's, that's a fun one, isn't it? Uh, and I have, I have two goals, aside from making the elders squirm, <laughs> uh, is, is to encourage the men of the church to aspire to that position of elder. And the other is to, to help all of us function, understanding the church that God has given us and how we're supposed to work, uh, to take the mystery out of it as much as we can. For today... Uh, you know what I hate about a message like this is I really haven't talked much about Jesus. 
And so, <laughs> in closing, elders cannot save you. <laughs> oh, you didn't have to be that emphatic. <laughs> Pastors cannot save you. Having a church that's run the way God intends it to run will not save you. Okay? Everything we do here, even the things that when we're talking about how to run a church in a business-like manner, which is maybe what this is, are still all based on Jesus and what he did. We go to heaven because of what he did for us. Nothing else matters. And if we have the most perfect, well-run church and the most uh, toe-the-line elders, which we don't, <laughs> you've ever seen, but we don't point you to Jesus Christ, then we have utterly failed. Okay, Jesus died on that cross for a reason. He didn't die to set an example. He didn't die because he said, it's, I have to go and this is as good as anything. He died because he came for the purpose he came for the one major intentional purpose of dying on that cross to pay for our sins. By his blood, our sins are paid. Okay, that is the payment. And if you have not come to Jesus Christ acknowledging that, then you have not come to Jesus Christ at all. And I would encourage you to do that. Okay. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for your word. And uh, I thank you for what you say to us about elders, and I pray that these weeks uh, going over this subject are valuable and helpful, that they help us to walk with you and be pleasing in your sight. We pray, I, I ask that not one person leaves here without that personal trust in you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.